This is Scratch Your Own Itch, the one show that delivers the conversations that we're afraid to share, but need to. This show is all about creating a life worth living. I'm Logan Tyler Nelson, and I'm your host. So you're going to hear conversations with creators and entrepreneurs talk about what they do, their current and past traumas, how they became who they are, and what they are truly curious about. This is the show where we talk about the things we think about a lot, but need to talk about more. Please take note that this show is not a substitute for actually creating a life worth living, because this show will stir your beliefs, make you question what it means to create a life worth living. So my promise to you is to always give you one question to answer for yourself today, to start turning your dreams into a reality. Hey friends, so before I get into this episode, I just want to read off a review that is by Hippie Dad, who says, Logan does a great job at tackling all the issues I seem to be having. Keep it up. And uh, I love that. I love that so much. I love that. Oh, that makes me feel so good. So just want to leave that review to let you know that I am, I am totally with you guys and with anybody and, uh, you know, guys, like you're not, you're not all guys. There's probably some women too. So friends, I'll refer you to friends. Uh, anyways, this episode is going to be great. Maddie Marr. And we talk about a number of things. Uh, his expertise is in so many places and we've, we go so many different places with this episode. We talk about many, many things. Uh, one of my favorite things we talk about is our inner critic and what's your inner critic. I just want to ask you that. What's your inner critic? When's the last time you've actually done something in which you found yourself saying some things that were just really, really, really negative, right? And then all of a sudden you found yourself two or three hours later turning out on the other end being totally okay. And that's a sign of inner critic. That's a sign of inner criticism. And that's okay because guess what? That's human and we all have that. But before we get into this episode, I really want to invite you to emailing me, logan at logantylernelson.com. If you're interested in starting your own podcast, I really want to help just a few people who have a really awesome message with their podcast because I'll tell you what, this podcast has made me feel so much better about my life. I surround myself around not just heroes of mine, but people that are becoming my friends people that I can go to for things, people that I can go to for questions about things that I really, really care about a lot. And that's really what this podcast has done for me. And I think this podcast can be something for you too, to get your voice out there. And also straight up, 
once you start telling the truth about the problems that you're having and you start solving them for yourself, you can solve them for other people too. And I had a really hard time with depression, as some of you may know. I had about with uh attempting suicide as some of you may know and this podcast has really given me true freedom to just speak out about that and not feel like I'm broken and if you've ever had a suicidal thought you've ever had negative thoughts about yourself you're not alone and so with that all being said I invite you to just email me logan at logan.net TylerNelson.com. Again, that's Logan at LoganTylerNelson.com. And I'm not a therapist, but I am a certified listener. And I'm a coach as well. And so I would love to listen. And I can't prescribe or anything like that, give you medicine, but I can help you with the future. And I'd love to help you with the future with the podcast and coach you through that. So Without further ado, enjoy my interview with Maddie Moss. Hey, you. Yeah, you. I want to ask you a very curious question. What is your opinion of you? Seriously, ask yourself this. Okay, I guess it's a serious, curious question, but I want you to really ask yourself, what is your opinion of you? Because the answer is going to set you free or keep you locked in from doing what you want to do. I mean, have you ever had that great idea like you were going to finally start doing something that you wanted to do? Maybe that thing was acting, writing, singing, doing stand-up comedy, starting a podcast, being a life coach, starting your own fitness YouTube channel. But then the moment before doing it, you didn't go through with it. You had the chance and the opportunity to scratch your own itch. Well, the thing is, I want you to know that you're not alone. And I'm here with you. We all have this. It's that one side of our consciousness that tells us to go for it, while the other part of the consciousness saves us from going and getting killed, our dreams literally getting killed, or possibly our feelings getting hurt, or the possibility of someone judging us. Well, today's episode is dedicated to the inner critic that keeps you from reaching what I call your area of supremacy. My sidekick today is Maddie Marr, and if you're wondering who Maddie Marr is, then you're in for a real treat, a real mind-blowing episode too. Maddie is an expert at explaining the difference between the inner critic and the muse. And this is just a short bio of Matt. Matt Marr, aka Maddie, is the type of guy in the grocery store that compliments your eye makeup, and then two minutes later, you're asking him for dating advice. He's originally from Southern Oklahoma. Matt credits his love of talking and hearing good stories from Sunday lunches at his large Southern family swapping tale tales. Or he's also known as a therapist and holds a master's of clinical psychology and specializing in narrative therapy. 
At the same time, he is a successful commercial actor and has performed stand-up all over the West Coast. He is the host of The Dear Maddie Show, which I highly recommend checking out. It's an advice podcast where listeners send in questions to Matt to provide humor, heart, and hopefully a helpful perspective to empower his listeners to be the authors of their own life story and work towards their dreams. And I've been talking a lot, so I want you to meet and introduce yourself to your new best friend, Maddie Marr. Hey, Matt, thank you so much for being on Scratch Your Own Itch. Sugar, that was the best damn introduction I've ever had. That was so sweet. (laughs) (laughs) That was so sweet. Thank you. Uh, Hey, uh, you deserve it. You have done so much for the community of your listeners as well as who's ever listening right now. And I'm just like, I'm super excited for them to open up their eyes and also uh, delve into what it is to just kind of reinvent the American dream, in my opinion. Um, so, yes, it is a, a it is an absolute honor to give you that introduction. Oh, you're very sweet. And yeah, I love... I love, that's kind of one of the things we do as narrative therapy is that we take these kind of, these, we call them like the clinical, like nerdy word is uh, these social discourses, or as I like to call them, the stories of our culture. We take these kind of stories that have been told to us over and over, because that's what we do. I mean, that's how we've expressed everything, our history, everything. Um, Stories are everywhere. And we take these stories that um, are being told to us and do we, how do we reinterpret the story and also sometimes realize that the story you've been told is actually not the story you want to write for yourself? Oh, that's a, oh, that's my kind of language. (laughs) Uh, That is no joke. No, seriously. I, uh, uh, I think a lot of us have a negative story about ourselves that just isn't true. It's just so much easier to look at someone's frown on their face and believe that it's your fault or it's so easy to believe that um, you're not funny um, just because one person didn't laugh at a, a joke that you tried to, you know, prepare in advance and then go, okay, I'm just not funny. I'm not cut out for stand-up comedy. So, um, you know, and, and to be- actually believe that yeah. instead of, uh, you know, trying again. Um, so... Yeah, and I know you're just, you're, is this an expert at this sort of inner critic that says like, hey, like you aren't enough, but rather transforming it into like you are enough. Like you can do it. You just have to try. What? Um, well, yeah, and I think that, so a lot of my work with like, and it's a lot with actors out here in LA and artist types, but, um, you know, a lot of it comes from, we have this idea of, like when people come to therapy, a lot of times they'll come to say, well, let me tell you what's wrong. And I think that's great that they have the the strength and the vulnerability and they're willing to talk about what's going wrong in their life. But as a narrative therapist, we're also more solution focused, meaning people, they say, hey, I need to figure I need to ask the why and dissect my problems. But what we do, too, is what if we dissect your strengths? What if we dissect and kind of peel the layers back of what's going well in your life? Because often when you, we get so focused on the problem that it blinds us from the good things in life. And that's, that's what depression, anxiety, shame, they're, they're brilliant as use 
as putting those blinders on us so we don't see those things. But if we, as a therapist, if I'm able to help shift somebody's perspective to just see, even if they're in the middle of a huge depression, the fact that they're able to brush their teeth in the morning, that can be a huge thing. And we forget that that's actually, they didn't have to brush their teeth, but they chose in the, in the face of all this depression to get up and put their pants on or to brush their teeth or to comb their hair and really kind of ask like, how were you able to do that? What, how were you able to have that strength in the face of depression? Because I know from, you know, having, as we've all, most of us have gone through some type of depression. It's, it's the simple quote unquote, easy things that normally are so easy to do become hard. So if we are able to look at, well, you know, I was able to get up and put my pants on. Why did you do that? Well, you know, I wanted to know, I wanted to just, I just wanted, I needed to get up and feed my cat. Okay, well, so what's your cat? What kind of strength does your cat give for you? What kind of, how do you have to show up for your cat? Well, I have to feed my cat. I have to clothe my cat. I, I have to, you know, take care of them and love them. And then you look at, you're like, wow, you're still able to do these things in the face of depression. And then people go, oh, wow, maybe I'm not as helpless as I thought. I actually am being helpful to myself, but depression tells me I'm helpless. Yeah. So it's what I'm getting from this. It's like, what thought is more helpful? Uh, the, the thought of, of, uh, I'm not strong enough to do this new thing or this new, um, not even this new thing, but I'm not strong enough to actually like uh, congratulate myself or mm-hmm. is the a more helpful thought of like, um, no, I, I actually did do something very cool today. Like yeah. I did get up and I simply just brushed my teeth and it's, it's just, you're very right. Perspective is, is everything. It's every, it everything. is, it is, um, uh, actually let's, you know, let's rewind a little bit. Sure. I love how this is already starting. It's a little bit different than how I usually do I, it. And I love that I have uh, because full on gay D so I'll go off anywhere. So just reel, <laughs> reel me in. <laughs> well, um, I just want to sort of like get everyone, uh, on track to who you are mm-hmm. and, and a little bit of, uh, the trauma that uh, we all have to go through um, in some way, shape or form in, in, in that huge possibility hacking that has to happen for us to start actually living in our sort of what I call area of supremacy. And so what was that thing you think uh, you had to really go through that, that huge traumatic experience um, to actually start doing what you love to wake up to actually do? Um, I think for me, honestly, probably the most kind of traumatic thing was growing up gay in Southern Oklahoma. Um, I'm 38, so born in 79. So growing up in the eighties in Southern Oklahoma. So, you know, we're very, we were very conservative country on the whole, but also where I grew up was quite a conservative area. So, you know, luckily my parents, you know, I grew up, you know, in, Right in the Bible Belt. So, um, and I was raised Catholic and uh, I'm not anymore, but I was raised Catholic and it was kind of a blessing because most people weren't, were not Catholic where I grew up. So, but I grew up with a lot of friends talking about that were going to type of other religions that were very more, much more focused on the Bible and things that were said in the Bible and things like that and t- really taking that to heart. And so I grew up 
obviously not necessarily knowing I was gay at a young age, but knowing I was different. I was this very effeminate kid. I had a lisp. I loved singing. I loved dancing. I loved musical theater. I was obsessed with Wonder Woman um, at a very young age. I mean, literally a diaper, red galoshes. I got a jump rope running around our backyard, lassoing trees. So, I mean, it was the gay ran deep with me, ran deep, Logan. Um, So, but for me, (laughs) I, um, you know, that was, I had my parents who told me you can be whatever you want. You can do whatever you want to do. And so it's like, I had this little love bubble. I feel like at my home, but then when I started to go to school, five, six years old, that's where I necessarily wasn't bullied, but that's where everyone was telling me to stop doing the things that were natural to me to not stand that way, to not talk that way, to not use that inflection in my voice, to not hold my hands like that, to not play with Wonder Woman. All these things that everybody, and it was so contradictory to where, what I was hearing at home. And so that's where kind of for me, like the whole narrative therapy perspective comes in because you know, I grew up not thinking being gay was a problem because I was in my house. My parents let me do what I wanted to do. They told me they loved me. I felt loved and I felt like who I was in the world was quote unquote good. But it wasn't until I went into the outside world that everybody told me I couldn't be what I wanted to be. I think that's why I relate so much to Wonder Woman even now to this day and that she grew up on this island as a woman with all these other women saying that you are fantastic, who you are as a woman, you are strong, you are beautiful, you are intelligent, share these things with everyone. And then when she goes outside to quote unquote man's world, suddenly you can't dress like that. You can't say these things. You can't be this person that who you are. And so that was very, um, you know, as I struggled with middle school and it got better in high school because I kind of started embracing myself more. I didn't come out until I was 19, but it really wasn't even until I was in my late 20s that I realized, for me, the thing that was the biggest problem in my life of being gay was actually the thing that saved me. It's the thing that led me into being a therapist. It's the thing that led me into volunteering and finding my friends and finding people I work with now in production stuff, doing you know shows that I work. I mean, it literally brought me into who I was as a person, and it's the thing that I feel like um, and one of the things that gives me so much a power and autonomy. Wow. 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 Um, isn't that odd how that works out? How yeah. all of a sudden the, the very thing that we're sort of insecure about, uh, makes us who we ultimately need to be in yeah. a really, really weird way. Oh yeah. For um, sure. That is- it's like, and, and I almost like going through, uh, I, I know you've uh, created a lot of art in your life. And uh, like, like you said, you have the gay DD and I've had like several different titles for the book that I'm writing right now. And one is just insecure about being insecure, right? Like yeah. we have this sort of like, like uh, we're, we're afraid to actually, um, and I'm not just speaking to like everybody. I mean, like that one person that needs to hear this right now that like it is totally okay to like settle in and be insecure and actually make that your life's work. Um, and I'd kind of like to ask you that question right now. Where do you think, uh, or if this is, this question is just like yes or no, if it's true. Mm-hmm. And the question is, 
Do you think what you do in your work today is basically just trying to figure out the problems that you have with yourself and then you, you help others with the same problem over and over and over and over? Yeah, I mean, yes and no, uh, honestly. I think that, you know, what the thing that I have learned in being a therapist is that, and from volunteering a lot, um, I used to volunteer for a suicide helpline called the Trevor Project for about four or five years. And so I think what I've learned is the, I mean, it sounds so cliche, but the best thing I can do is just listen, is really listen and put my own ego aside when someone's talking about a problem. And not necessarily assume that their problem is like mine. For example, I remember when I was, um, you know, when I was going, volunteering for the Trevor Project, I remember talking to this guy. And I was, I think my late 20s at the time, I'd come out like 10 years before. And he's 19, the age I was when I came out and talking about coming out now. And he was talking about how alone he felt and so isolated. You know, I grew up in a very small southern town, town of 4,000 people. There was nothing to do, you know, around us and we're out in the country. And he was talking about how alone he felt. And I related to that so much. And I thought, wow, this is just like my story. And then I asked him, I said, where do you live? And he said, oh, I live in, the, in, in Chicago. And I thought, I was like, girl, if I lived in Chicago, I'd be out at a gay bar, right? Like he was in college. Like I would, I was like, what are you talking about? I would be, I would have so many friends. I would be, Lord knows what trouble I'd be getting into. You know what I mean? So, but I heard that and I took in actually what else he had told me about his family background, that he was, that he grew up in a very religious African-American family. And I thought his his story is his story. And so it's not for me to oppress someone by assuming that my story is exactly like theirs. So that's where the yes and no comes in this situation and that we all have similar problems. It's almost like, you know, a diamond, a diamond is made of the same type of stone, but the facets of it shine differently for each person. And so taking that in and kind of seeing that's why it's so important, I think, just to hear the details of someone's story, because it's just, you know, when I grew up in Oklahoma, that's why I love talk shows and what we do, what Logan, what you and I are doing so much, because the power of it is not necessarily giving the advice to people, but just sharing the story, because I grew up thinking that I was going that I was gay, I was going to grow up, be either be a woman or I was going to die of AIDS, and no matter what, I was going to hell. That was my, for eternity. That was kind of the reality, I believe. And then I remember watching Oprah Winfrey and seeing um, seeing two people, seeing a gay man with his boyfriend talking about how they wanted to have a house one day, and they were they'd been together for like four years. They had a dog, and literally, this is so seems so basic, but it was a show literally just about meet gay people, just to kind of educate people. And it, but it changed my perspective. Because I went, wait a minute, their dreams look like my dreams. And I'll never forget another woman who was, uh, I believe at the time, a, a black woman in Chicago trying to get ahead and how she like went to an estate sale and she bought a pair of like Oprah like giving her shoes for a charity. And she bought those shoes and she used to stand in those shoes every day in the mirror until she didn't have to stand in Oprah's shoes anymore. And that was helpful to me too, because it reminded me, and I tell this to my clients all the time that it's okay if I don't have hope for my situation right now because 
I tell my clients, use my hope. So if you're listening to this, you know, Logan is, this isn't easy what you're doing, Logan. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes energy. So if someone's feeling hopeless right now, I guarantee you, Logan has hope for you. So use his hope or use my hope until you don't need it anymore. Because that's why we're doing this, because we have hope for people that are going through this right now. Oh, so, so, so true. Thank you so much for saying that. Uh, yeah, I often say... Uh, I don't that, know if I answered your question. No, oh, nice. <laughs> no you, you answered it exactly the way that you needed to answer it. You did. And so I just want to real quick uh, comment on like the idea of just not always having the answers is actually why I call it scratch your own itch is just being incredibly curious and in being incredibly um inquisitive if in if you're not the person always in the room that has the answer like that's okay because i don't think like for me at least and uh you you may share the same ideology and i really think you do um is when you're in the room and you're just like deeply deeply curious about the person also inside the room with you and that may be like while you're listening to this like you're inside the room with us right now pretend that you're inside the room um having the answer is not always the thing that you want but the really the thing that we all want is just our voice to be heard just to be heard like and simply being heard is just like the best thing in the world it's the the reason why anybody does anything i think nowadays is just to go i feel less alone in that thought and now that both of our thoughts of not knowing this if this answer, not knowing what we're going to do next or f- feeling like uh, we're not enough or feeling like, you know, just those. And you're a master on inner critic. So I really want to kind of get into that idea of uh, mm-hmm. or that question of uh, when have you actually had an inner critic telling yourself uh, like some sort of story where you're actually doing incredible work on stage because I know you're an actor. Uh, or maybe incredible work in a commercial where you had this thought inside your head that you're doing a terrible job and then you receive all these compliments and accolades, but still while hearing this, you don't want to believe it because that's just what our minds like to do to ourselves. Well, so part of being a narrative therapist is that we externalize things. So, I mean, I have it all the time, Logan, like even as I'm telling you the story, there is that there's the, my inner critic that says, oh, your voice sounds too effeminate. Oh, is this going to sound like you're talking too much? Is this going to sound preachy? Is this going to sound like you're, you're trying to be uppity and not relating to people? All of that just happened two minutes ago as I'm talking to you. So that's a, that is the <laughs> and that and what I have to remember is, you know, and I've done this a lot with the people that I've worked with is. We want to label our emotions often as good or bad. And I think it's letting go that emotions are good and bad. It's recognizing when are emotions helpful or not helpful. Because we're, we were meant to have anger. We are meant to have anxiety. You have anxiety because you see, if you see a big woolly mammoth approaching you, you get anxious because you know you need to run or you're going to die. So it's like, <laughs> it's this, idea that we have that often I and through the kind of my own personal work and a lot of working with my my clients it's a lot about when they talk about when when we label this inner critic I ask them a lot because I do break it down like you said in the critic and the muse and the muse is kind of what's 
what's the kind of the the helpful, positive voice always telling you can do things versus that critic that's telling you that you can't. And in that critic, we we I asked them questions like, when did the critic first show up for you? When do you remember the feeling you were, did you remember where you were? What did it smell like? Like I tried, what was, where was the sun? Or was it at night? Like the, where, it, what do you remember the way it felt when you were sitting on the chair or the ground or standing or whatever you remember this first little voice saying, wait a minute, don't, don't be yourself or wait a minute, whatever their critic says to them. So for me as being a narrative therapist, it's now I've realized that that is the critic. So as I'm talking to you and I'm having these thoughts of, oh, your voice sounds effeminate. You, I hope people are, under, are relating to you. I hope they don't think that you're trying to be, uh, that you don't sound arrogant or conceited, that you seem humble. I realize, you know, that critic, that's that critic. It's always operating because it's intention. What the critic wants for me, ask yourself, if you're listening to this and you think, oh, I have this critic that's always judging me. What is If I could have, you know, Logan or whoever's listening, if I could have you drift out of your body and just talk directly to your critic right now, and I ask your critic the question, what is your hope for Logan? What do you hope for for Logan's life? Think about that. Like, Logan, what do you think your critic, what does it hope for in your life? Of right now, I think it hopes... That I get some sort of pleasure just from making friends, some sort of uh, exchange. So a pleasure of, from making, keep going. Yeah, uh, it, it, a, an exchange of of uh, of commonalities, like like minded, uh, deep deep conversations. Um, the stuff that we're afraid to talk about, but we need to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really, really hoping that I also uh, get more opportunity to really uh, deal with one's limiting beliefs mm-hmm. and also stop being the inner critic of going, oh, everyone else is doing that. But that's just the universal law. Like when you focus on it, you feel like everyone's doing it. So why can you do it? But it's like, yeah. Um, so that constant battle. Um, and, uh, well, that's, yeah, that, that's, that's interesting oh. to me because that was, I asked your critic what it wanted for Logan's life. But if I asked Logan, Logan, what do you hope for your life? It's probably very similar things. So mm. we often think this critic is this thing trying to take us down or attack us. Well, what happens is a lot of times when your critic first showed up in your life, it was trying to protect you. It was trying to, you know, my critic, it knew that I would get beat up if I acted too effeminate or if I played Wonder Woman on the playground. So it told me to stop to literally help my physical safety. So when I think about that, and as I'm talking to you, this critic is saying, well, you sound effeminate. It's just that our critic is slow to learn where our muse is much smarter. And our critic is still operating a lot of times from that five, six, four, two, eight. That first time it showed up, it's stuck there. And so when I have these thoughts like I have that I'm just talking to you, because I've worked on it now, I realize, oh, yeah, do I like if I'm on camera, I always think I look fat on camera. I always hate my double chin. I hate those things. But then I go, oh, wait, that's my critic who's just who's trying to protect me. But that's okay. 
that's not what Matt wants. Matt doesn't Matt doesn't want to hide from people. Matt doesn't as and Logan Logan doesn't want to not have deep conversations with people. Your critic wants that too, but sometimes your critic says, Ooh, it says, Oh, Logan, don't say that like that. You're not gonna sound smart. I'm trying to protect you because I want you to have deep conversations. And Logan, if you don't say something smart, people are going to think you're stupid and then you're not going to have these deep conversations. And so it's like, okay, Logan, or okay, critic, I know you're trying to protect Logan right now, but it's not helpful. The helpful way to protect Logan is to actually be vulnerable. The helpful way for have Logan to have these deep conversations is actually for Logan, to sh- is for me to share my story. And a critic, you're just not used to that yet. Yeah. Oh, can I just say that I'm, I yet to have a guest that I book for the, for the show and not have the thought of, uh, I should just, I should just email him and tell him that uh, I, I can't do it anymore. My computer is breaking down and, uh, I've, I've just gotten a car accident or, uh, you know, I've, uh, just all these excuses that I make up in order to like get out of it, even though I work so hard on this podcast and I work so hard to reach out to them or just tell them the truth uh, of what I'm feeling and what they've done for my life. And um, gosh, like that, uh, every single guest that I've ever had on this, no joke, I've had that same thought. I should just cancel it because I'll be terrible at this anyways. So why even go through with it? Yeah. And that's just your critic often trying, times trying to protect you because it knows that you probably, we've all had this where we put ourselves out there. I've done stand-up comedy. I've had shows that are great. And then I have, I have had those shows where I have bombed. And it's not if you bomb, it's when. And when I bomb, I have that critic voice saying, man, that really, Matt's critic is like, that, that pissed me off. That was horrible for me. I hated that. Matt, I'm never going to let you do that again because I don't want you to get hurt, Matt. So I'm gonna, every time you do stand-up comedy, I'm going to remind you of bombing. So that way you don't put yourself out there and get hurt again. It's, so it's trying to protect me. My critic loves me. It doesn't want to destroy me, but it's just really dysfunctional the way it works. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that is so... I really, really think that is so needed to listen to right now to have that. Um, thank you for that, Matt. Thank you so much. Uh, I do want to get into because we're about to uh, hit hit the ending yeah. mark, but we got we got a little bit more time. I want to ask you some scratching the surface curiosity questions in order to make some people feel sure. less alone and also learn a little bit more about you. Um, so. The first thing I like to ask is, uh, what's that terrible thought that you keep having that you just kind of wish you stopped having? For me, I think I wish that I stopped um, having the thought of, for me, it probably is like body stuff. I always feel like I'm too fat. Oh, you're so not alone in that. Oh, no. You're so yeah. not alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, I have, I have literally, I have veins in my, my abdomen and my legs and I still have thoughts of not being like ripped enough. Like it is just, yeah, we all, even, even the most fit people are are honestly the most unhealthy. So, uh, you are not alone in that. Um, the next thing I'd like to ask which helps me, (laughs) which helps me, um, 
The next thing I'd like to ask you, if you could be one person for an entire month, who would it be and why? If, uh, sorry, say that again, you cut out a little bit on me. If you could be a, uh, one other person, even though I know you're all about being yourself, mm-hmm. if you could be one of your heroes for an entire month, who would it be and why? I mean, it's a fictional person. I would love to be Wonder Woman because I love her. Um, but honestly, I think, uh, I would love to be, uh, the first kind of person that popped to my mind actually was RuPaul. Because, man, he is fearless. And talk about somebody who just owns themselves, own their flaws, and take any and anything um, anything that, you know, I tell people all the time, if they feel like they have an insecurity or a problem or they feel like they're weird, lean into it because it, it will embrace you back. And, boy, he has done that in his life. I've got to introduce you to a guest I just had on yesterday, Jay Pryor. Uh, you, he wrote a book called Leaning In uh, that is just, you guys speak the exact same language and you guys operate very similar to each other. Um, I can't wait for you guys to, he has a podcast of his own, or actually he uh, grew up female and then he had a sex uh, uh, change, he had a gender change, um, and he's just, amazing uh you would love 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 this man uh and uh, just his story so yeah i'll connect you guys and maybe you guys can have each other on on your podcast or whatnot and he's doing really really great work so i can't wait for you guys to meet each other anyways um you have gay dd i have regular add uh, for sure (laughs) um (laughs) uh that's why scratching the surface curiosity questions are just so much fun for me to try to challenge myself to actually get through them and not comment too much, too much. Uh, anyways, uh, the next thing I'd like to ask you is, uh, what is, what is a belief that you had, like an identity of yourself that you had 10 years ago that now is just not a belief that you have any longer? Um, that's just allowed you to really step into things and leaning in, like you were saying. Um, I think for me, it is the belief probably would be that I don't have a voice, like a unique voice. And, um, I think that, or you know what? No, that's not it. Cause I knew that when I was younger, but my credit kind of kept it suppressed. I think for me, what the belief that I have now is there is, you don't need to care as much about everything and meaning emotionally, just emotionally cutting the fat from my life. I think I was way more concerned with what other people thought when I was younger. And I still am to a degree and it gets better and better the older I get. And I love that in interviewing people, anybody I've talked to that, uh, you know, it's true. You turn 30, it changes what you care about. You turn 40, there's even things become even more important to you because the older we get, the less time we have on this earth. And so it really is just, uh, yeah, I don't not that I don't care. I actually care about people more, but it's just like the little things in my life of, you know, this needs, things needs to be exactly this way or this, you know, these kind of things that they're just, they're trivial to me. That's, that's really, that's interesting. That is so interesting. Yeah. We're, we're lucky human beings to both be curious about uh, other human beings just because that I, uh, I think that's perpetual. That's a perpetual art is just to be constantly curious. And if you're, um, I always 
do this. If I'm not compassionate, if I'm not curious, if I'm not creating something, um, and I, and I ask myself if I'm not doing one of those three things and I'm down and I'm confused or I'm like out of it, that's usually the reason why, um, because I'm not doing one of those three things. So I ask that, or I say that just because do you have a sort of personal philosophy where, you know, you check in with yourself on, on certain things to go, okay, this is where I need to go back to focusing on this one thing. Well, I mean, not to just reiterate what you said. However, though, I mean, that was one thing just in kind of look, meeting you and reading about you that did, I thought, well, this interview will go, I will enjoy this because even as a therapist, when people come to me as a therapist, being a narrative therapist, we really literally, I mean, this is in books, we operate from, we be a, we're a point of curiosity for the client. That's actually the language we use. And so we're always eternally curious about their problems and their solutions and this narrative, the stories that are in their life. And we never stop kind of asking these questions instead of, we do not believe we are the expert. I am not. How can I be the expert of your life? Because that is often the problem is people feel like they are not in control of their life. So they come to us. So we believe the client is the expert and we are just a point of curiosity to reflect back to them. So I always go back to that. If I'm in, a, in an interview or I'm in something where I feel like I'm either not listening or I'm thinking about, you know, I'm a, I'm a person. So, you know, somebody can be talking about their problems and I'm thinking about my grocery list and it happens sometimes. But when I have those moments, I go, oh, wait a minute, take a breath, feel your body, feel your breath, feel your heartbeat, feel yourself sitting in this chair and then wonder, hmm, just listen and what question and from the listening, does it evoke a question that I'm more interested and curious about? That is amazing. I oh, we could make a t-shirt out of that. That should be a t-shirt. I want that t-shirt. I will buy. Oh, I would love sugar. that. I will buy it. <laughs> um, just a few more questions. Oh gosh, I wish you were on for like fourteen more hours. We should just keep on doing these. Uh, never stop. Uh, the next question is, uh, what do you think you had to sacrifice in your life to sort of like step into your true purpose? I think that I had to sacrifice. Um, I don't, you know, it's interesting that word when you say again, when as a narrative therapist, we're always asking people what words mean. So like when somebody, so when you say sacrifice, your definition of that word is going to be different than my definition. Maybe they're very similar, but there are going to be again, Things that are different. Because when I hear the word sacrifice, to me, I think that can be a negative connotation that people think you're not getting things that you want or you're not doing things. But for me, the sacrifices I made of, you know, I was single for like 14 years. I have a boyfriend now, but a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, how were you single for so long? That had to be so terrible. And it wasn't terrible because I was kind of sacrificing being in a relationship. I mean, don't get me wrong. I had my fun. But as far as an emotional, I knew that if I wanted to enter in a relationship that I didn't want to do that lightly. If I was going to be, have a boyfriend and we were going to build a partnership, mama was going to go all in. I was going to do it. And so, and which is what's happened. But in that time, I, I guess I sacrificed that or put that to the side because I just knew I was so focused on building the life and building myself first. I love the way that your mind works. I really do. Well, thanks. That was, that was 
That was a, a very amazing answer. Uh, yeah, that is a c- cool question I want to ask anyone that needs to listen to it right now is, what does the definition of sacrifice mean to you? And uh, if uh, if it's negative connotation, not that you have to change it today, but just be more mindful of it, I suppose, of uh, what what is it that you really feel? Yeah, and if I, could add to, if I could add to that too, what is your definition of success? Because I think that's a huge thing that we always talk oh. about success and happiness, but what is truly your definition? Because, you know, the definition of everybody where I grew back up home is to buy a house, to get married. They have two or three point kids. They work in the same job for 30 years. They have a great retirement and that's their definition. They go to church. That's their definition of success. And I fought with that a lot because I would go home and I would see people that had the house and all this. And I'm paying, you know, a thousand dollars of rent and they bought a home for $500 a month. And I'm thinking, what am I doing with my life? Because I was measuring their success against mine rather than really dissecting what is success to me day to day. And not just like one day I'll have a house, but what is like, what is success today? If you were quote unquote successful today, what does that look like? What is that definition? If you were successful this week in your life, what is success? Like have su- create your success now and not this thing we're waiting for years down the road. Yeah, that is, oh, I love that. Um, that is the, that is the reason why I'm still living today. And I totally, mm-hmm. I can be honest with you when I say that. It's like, I just changed my definition of success. Yeah. After it, and it's and it's redefined all the time. And it's that's why I love your stories because for me it was like reinventing the American dream. Um, because of the the space that you put yourself out as as a comedian or as an actor, uh, it is a very uh sort of uh Let's just face it. It's a doggy dog world in that area, in that show business. And um, it's not always for the best things. It's more of a popularity contest and who is this or that. And and, uh, I don't want to go into that. We could do a whole nother episode about that. I'm sure. We could do a series. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Hey, maybe we will. Maybe we will. will. Uh, But the last uh, sort of question I'd love to ask you is if people started doing X, Y, Z today, the craziest thing would start happening to them. And so, oh, wait, I'm confused on the question. If people started doing, oh, if they started doing this and this and that, the crates. Okay. I got the question now. I'm with you. Sorry. Yeah. Oklahoma. I'm a little sorry. No worries. Um, <laughs> I, well, let me um, I, you know, it's interesting you ask that question because that's kind of a tool we use as a narrative therapist is we ask people because, you know, because I don't, I don't want to give my XYZ, honestly, Logan, because my XYZ is going to be different for somebody else's XYZ. So I don't want them to plug in the tools I've used in my life. And then if it doesn't work for them, we're like, well, that didn't work. Matt and Logan were wrong, but it's more about, I would ask the question of yourself. If you, if you, let's say anything you want in your life, but if if it's called the, we call it the miracle question. So if you woke up the next morning and suddenly either the depression that you had or whatever, let's say you hate your job. If you woke up the next morning and everything had changed, you woke up, you got ready in the morning, 
you brushed your teeth or you um, you were able to, you know, get ready, go to work or go do something you wanted to do. Or if you woke up in the day and everything, this job that you hate, if it was gone and you woke up and you could do, you know, whatever you wanted to do, what would you be doing? Or let's say some people, they have a problem of they're a parent that doesn't get along with their kid. And they're like, you got up, you got to work. And then you ended up having this great conversation with your daughter on the way to work. And you were able to, and you talked about things that you enjoyed. And it's then asking them, what would be different? What would have been different in your day? So then kind of, it's almost like we're back thinking. So we're thinking about if the change happened, going backwards, what would be different? And maybe it's like, huh, you know, if I needed to have a good conversation with my daughter, I know that I probably would, I probably wouldn't start the conversation by asking her if she did her homework. Or I wouldn't start the conversation, I wouldn't yell at her to get up when she got late. I would tell her, hey, I'm really stressed out this morning and I'm trying to get to work early. Um, are you stressed out? Would you mind helping me out? You know, just whatever it is, kind of backtracking these questions, because that's where you can figure out a little bit more of what your X, Y, Z is. So I think for me, I guess my X, Y, Z would be wherever you are, you're not just to stop, drop and breathe to really just take a breath instead of reacting. Because often if we just have that pause, the pause before a reaction, if we just give ourselves some space and that pause is often where we can think of uh, a, a solution we might have not thought before. Is that it? I don't know if that fully answered your question, but I tried. That's perfect. No, I, I think the way you answered it, I just, the, uh, wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, because it just gives uh it's not a white or black sort of answer. It's I, I do like answers that are it depends just because well, it depends. It depends. It really it depends does. Because it does, yes. Um and it's more fun that way. So you you or myself or whoever's listening right now gets the opportunity to actually work on themselves and actually reflect Ooh. and really like and and make it fun at the same time. Uh, don't think of it as work. You know, like you have to do this. If you don't feel like doing it, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Just don't. Yeah. But if you really like, the greatest thing is when you have that really strong itch that you just have to scratch that I put. Or if you're like, you know, a person that really just keeps on having a sucky life and you feel like it's sucky and it's getting suckier, then this is your opportunity to make a new experience in your life. This sort of experience that you yeah. want to start having. Yeah. And ask yourself, so, my life keeps getting suckier. If I woke up tomorrow, if one thing was, if, if my life is so sucky, it's like a 10 of suckiness. If I woke up tomorrow, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like on a scale of one to 10, if I woke up tomorrow and it was a nine or maybe even a nine and a half on the suckiness, what would be different? Because that's where you start to see the little things of, mm, you know, maybe meditating or for five minutes that actually makes the suckiness a little less powerful. Yes. Oh, that is so awesome to hear. <laughs> anyway, I love people. Oh, no, no. Um, I love it. I just want to really quick, uh, allow you to make a, a new friend. Cause I didn't make this show to just, have guests on and then they, you know, they go on and then all of a sudden you, you don't communicate with that person at all. But I really want people to be friends with, um, anyone that's listening right now. Uh, so if they want to reach out to you, where can they find you? 
Of course, of course, of course. So they can, first of all, if you're interested in the podcast, just wherever you listen to the podcast app, you can go to Dear Maddie Show, that's M-A-T-T-I-E, or you can just type in Matt Marr, M-A-T-T-M-A-R-R. I have the Dear Maddie Show. I also do a like a television comedy show called TV Tea Time. It's totally different. It's just a lot of jokes. Um, but um, you can go there. You can find me on social media stuff at the Matt Mar again, two T's, two R's, whether it's Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter. And then um, if you want to ask an advice question on the show, uh, you can go to, um, I'd say probably it is, is TV. That'll help you out. Awesome. I will put that all in the show notes. So you, anyone that's listening right now can find that easily. And, uh, you know, not just make Matt a hero of yours, but make him a true friend. And uh, when you do that, like, it's amazing how responsive this guy is. Like, I mean, he's every email I get, it's it's responsive right back every single time. Like I emailed him out of the blue. He didn't even know who I was. And he decided to be on the show uh, at all. So I guarantee if you just reach out to him and tell him your thoughts, like he's not going to be like, oh, I'm too good for you. Like, no, uh, he is responsive and he is um, just uh, filled with love. Phil, his his show is filled with love, um, transparency, authenticity. And those are buzzwords that we just throw around. But I'm not kidding when I say that, that the, this, this, this show is for you if you're into that kind of the conversations that um, we wish we were having. But uh, we're not. And so that's what his show is about. Also about humor, too, because... Is he's a naturally hilarious guy. Um, I usually don't like to laugh on these shows that much, but I, I laughed a lot today. So usually I put this on mute and I just try to really listen in, but there's a couple of times where I just had to. Um. <laughs> no, I love it. The way you think. Carol Burnett's comedy is tragedy plus time. So, it, you know, with having that ability to laugh about uh, kind of the things that we've gone through really is healing. So, so true. I love that. That might be the title of the show. Who knows? Who knows? Anyways, um, thank you again so much, Matt, for agreeing to come on the show. Of and course, uh, hopefully Logan, we can you. have you. Thank you for what you're doing. It's uh, pretty darn incredible. Ah, thank you. That feels amazing. All right, guys, there's another episode of Scratch Your Own. All right, there's another episode of Scratch Your Own Itch with Maddie Marr and myself. Please get connected with this question of what's your inner critic. It's so important to know that we all have inner critics. And it's even more important to know that you're not alone with it. And to reflect on it is a part of being able to to get better and to not feel like you're the only one with this and to also move away from it and see how many things you can overcome when you realize that you do have this inner critic. But anyways, guys, if you want to leave a review, I really appreciate that. Taking the time to leave a review means so much to me. It honestly doesn't take too long to, I know that it's harder done than said to just take time and uh, actually leave a review. But honestly, it means the world to me that I'm in communication with anybody that I know that's listening. 
And also hit that subscribe button and don't forget that you matter and you're not.